0: Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Guys, it is the last episode of 2020. That's right, I will be talking about the best releases so far this year, as well as the worst releases so far this year. Actually, I'll be going over the positives of this past year uh, more so than the negatives of this past year. But, uh, well, especially since this year has been so, uh, you know what I mean? Um, But no, I will be going over my favorite albums of the year. I will also be going over my favorite songs of the year. But also, I want to talk about... The worst releases I've heard this year. Um, no EPs. I'm gonna be just strictly be talking about albums and songs. Um, so we got ten best albums, ten best songs, and five worst albums. You know, I. It, it's been a rough year for all of us, and this nightmare isn't over yet. Although some positives have happened especially here in America on November Um, but at least we had some pretty freaking great music to help us through this difficult time. I was thoroughly impressed with what this year had to offer yet I was also kind of disappointed in a lot of releases especially uh, from older artists that I have loved for years but we'll get to that soon. Right now you have 10 best albums to look forward to coming up, as well as 10 best songs. But why don't we start off this podcast? And yes, we're going to go straight into it. We're not going to waste any time. I feel like this might be a long podcast. Not, Not really long, like an hour long, like Radiohead or Swans, or I think even Animal Collective, if I remember correctly. But I want to get this over with. We're going to talk about 10 best albums later on in the show. But first, I want to talk about the worst albums I've heard this year. Okay, so the, wor- the, the worst albums of the year. Um, I got five here we're going to be talking about them. I think I've covered I've covered most of these on the show, but I think oh yes, just one album on this worst albums list I have not talked about. So, starting in at number 5, I have notes on A Conditional Form by The 1975. I want to call myself a fan of The 1975, but I like some of their songs. They do the alternative rock pop sound really well, and they can make some pretty catchy melodies. Their last effort, a brief inquiry into online relationships, made me realize they had some potential. I especially liked how they dabbled with orchestral arrangements. On this album though, oh boy. So many freaking songs on this record. It's 80 minutes long, yet there is a little value on this record. The band hops from one genre to the next like they think they are Ween or something. And there isn't anything wrong with that, but when there is a little rhyme or reason for the genre hopping, it seems kind of gimmicky. And my god, a lot of these songs are just straight-up duds. Jesus Christ 2005, God Bless America, and Roadkill is their attempts at Americana and country, and it is both confusing and laughable. There are a handful of instrumental interludes that are also pretty baffling. Having No Head was a strange house track. That they tacked on at the end, it seems like. And don't get me started on that lo-fi hip-hop track, Nothing Revealed, Everything Denied. Such an embarrassing take on the genre. Jesus. However, it's not terrible as, well, I should say it's not all terrible as there are a few highlights. Like I said earlier, they shine writing poppy alternative and indie rock ballads like Me and You Together song. If you're too shy, let me know. If You're Too Shy, Let Me Know is a catchy synth-pop ballad inspired by the 80s new wave movement. And I really like the aggressive punk song People at the beginning of the album. But man, is the rest of the album such a mess. Hopefully they can get their act together because I believe they can make a great indie pop record if they really tried. And I think they came pretty close with uh, their last album, Brief Inquiry, but this one, it's just bad. At number four, I have The Black Hole Understands by Cloud Nothings. Let's just say I am glad that this album is only 30 minutes long. Cloud Nothings has done nothing but disappointed me since 2014. And this is just another entry in the pile that is the Cloud Nothings shit. (laughs) I almost fell asleep multiple times during this album. I miss the Cloud Nothings with so much energy. You know, Baldi sounds like a a stereotypical indie rock vocalist, and it's just so sad. Speaking of stereotypical, holy fuck... The guitars drums and bass sound so derivative in so many songs on this thing nothing stands out it's the blandest indie rock release of the year also the mixing on this album is all over the place sometimes it's fine sometimes the vocals need to be turned up or sometimes the drums need to be turned up it's so inconsistent the only song that actually stood out to me was the third track an average world and that's because of its ending before that Awesome ending. Baldy's vocals are annoying and the instrumental is bland, but the outro has that winding and chaotic instrumentation that I love in a lot of good Cloud Nothing songs. But other than that, this is just bad. And I think they recently released a companion album to this album. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't plan on listening to it at all. And number three, Top by Youngboy Never Broke Again. I can sum up this album with forgettable bars and verses and uninteresting 808 and i-hat beats um and yeah that's about it nothing else to say no good songs just nothing just Oof. but anyway let's move on to my number two pick "Mind Hive" by wire i am a huge wire fan I think I've talked about them before when I talked about post-punk. And that's because they are a legendary post-punk band with a number of great and iconic albums under their belt. However, this album sounds like a watered-down version of the band that I've come to love. Uh, It honestly sounds like another band trying to imitate them. And and that's just the saddest thing because that is such a fall from grace. To be fair... I haven't listened to their newer stuff, but when I saw this come out, I, I just had to check it out, and I was so curious as to what WIRE sounds like in 2020. Annoying vocals and predictable song structures makes this a bland release, and it was almost my number one pick. Um, I don't remember hearing an album this bland, this predictable, this boring, until one album came out to claim... The crown for the shittiest release and it was a release that was fairly recent it was a release that i have criticized for months before the album even came out and that album is seer by the smashing pumpkins and yes it was that bad i already knew i was going to dislike this album based off the singles the bands released beforehand i didn't know what billy corgan was smoking but for whatever reason. He decided bland and uninspired synth pop was the way to go for this album. And it's not like they haven't done this before. They've done it a number of times and it was very good. But for whatever reason, they decided to waste all of our times with this crap. The synths are so derivative. The song progressions and structures are the same across most of the album. At some point, these songs just ble- like blend in together because they are so similar sounding. And that is not a good thing. That means less songs stand out on their own and the album feels predictable or just boring. Like I, I just remember during a, a stretch, I think in the middle of the album, where I spaced out because nothing was happening, it felt like. And it, uh, man, what happened to the Smashing Pumpkins? I really only liked one song on the album and it wasn't because it did, it, it didn't do anything different, but... It was the best of the melodies and the best vocal performance from Corgan, who, by the way, annoyed the shit out of me throughout the album. His voice is like nails on a chalkboard, and I cannot stand him. The worst part is that the album is over an hour long, and it makes it so much more unbearable. So much longer than it actually is. I said 1975 had little value. This album literally has no value. This is the worst release of 2020. Congrats, Smashing Pumpkins. You suck. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad I got that out of the way because there was just when I think about 2020, there's actually a lot of good this year that came out instead of the the bad that I just mentioned. And I only mentioned five oh, albums. Really, not a lot of releases this year disappointed me, but the ones that that the ones that did stood out to me the most because. Of course, we had such a great year in music. And if you don't think we had a great year in music, let's talk about the best songs of the year. Now, before I talk about that, I want to lay some ground rules. I've only limited this list to one song per artist. Also, if you think you might predict my best albums of the year based on the songs I put on this list, you might get some... Albums right? but for the most part, I think individual songs stand on their own um, apart from albums. Albums, I feel like, need to be listened to as a whole to really enjoy it. I mean, you could take certain songs off of an album and say like, oh, yes, this is a great song. I'll put this on a playlist, but really what, what makes a great song for me, doesn't really rely on the album that it's from or whether or not the album that is it is from is my favorite album of the year or my favorite albums of the year. A lot of these songs don't even have albums albums attached to them, as you will uh, hear, or at least one song, I think. Yeah, just one song. But still, I appreciate the individual moment of a song compared to a full-length album. So without further ado, let's get to my number 10 pick, best song of the year. And that is WAP by Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B. Yeah, that's right. I am putting WAP on here. How could I not? It got so much buzz around it, whether it was controversial, whether it was Ben Shapiro saying white ass P word, or people just enjoying the hell of it. I am part of the latter group as I genuinely enjoyed Cardi and Megan's smart and hilarious verses. The minimal 808 beat was also a highlight for me. It just goes to show you that you don't need to overproduce trappy to make a song memorable. I play the song a lot as I got a kick from it. At number nine, I have Busy Man by Died. I am a simple man. I hear post hardcore, and I have to add it to my Spotify library. Seriously though, Died revived the '90s post hardcore sound with their latest album, Less Life. I was really looking forward to the album, given how good the singles were. One of them in particular being Busy Man. The bassline sounds like it was inspired by a, a lot of Fugazi's bass lines, as we can hear a bit of dub. Also, love how the band switches between that moderate tempo to fast and aggressive with ease. The chorus is one of the highlights for me, as I love the shout singing. Again, really reminding me of those, those classic 90s hard, post-hardcore bands, which is mostly why it's on the list. And also, you can't go wrong with that infectious bassline. Come on. You know you love it, too. And number 8, I have Charms by Arm & Hammer. God, I love this duo. And their new project is just so fantastic. A song like Charms really showed how much they've changed things up for this album. First, the sample that they used with the flutes is very bright, which isn't typical for their sound. Usually, they take a darker and grimy approach to their music, almost sounding apocalyptic or anxiety-inducing, and hearing something this lighthearted from them was a bit jarring. Also, there are some lyrics referring to how fucked up the earth is and how helpless they feel. They can't really change anything. They inherited this earth. They aren't going to change things by themselves. But there is also a spiritual side to the song. As Elucid talks about speaking abundance and seeking oneness. That's actually one of my favorite lines of this year. And I don't know about you guys, but I needed a track like this during quarantine. And it, it just stuck with me ever since I heard this album. So that's my number eight pick. And number seven, I have Bless Me by Moses Sumney. Sumney's latest record is a lush and experimental neo-soul psychedelic electronica double album. And while there are a lot of well-crafted and well-produced tracks throughout the album, the one that really stuck out to me was the penultimate track here. Sumney's angelic falsetto blesses your ears throughout the track. His voice is buttery smooth it it is so addictive i seriously can't get enough of it the sultry bass swelling strings and studio effects also add a lot of beauty to this track but the main attraction here is Sumney. his vocals are stunning and the lyrics portray this tender relationship with his partner presumably it is such an immaculate song one of my favorite soul songs of the year number six we have kyoto by phoebe bridgers Despite not liking Punisher in my first couple of lessons, I did like Kyoto straight away. It's reminiscent of the indie rock that I grew up with and loved. Bridger's sultry vocals over the up-tempo guitars and drums made me think of 90s indie rock and pop groups. The uplifting horns was very Sufjan Stevens, and her elated singing on the choruses kept me coming back to the track. I also love the lyrics about her relationship with her father. The moods that she goes through are very realistic as she goes from hating him to forgetting him to loving him. It fits the tone of the rest of the album, but strong lyricism performances make this stand out among the rest of the tracks on Punisher. At number five, I have a few words for the Firing Squad Radiation by Run The Jewels. Oh boy, RTJ. Their fourth record is probably my favorite second favorite album of theirs behind rtj2 it was an album that we needed at the time it was an album that expressed our frustrations with oppressive systems and how black people were being treated by cops and this song here is the climax to their record and boy is it one of the best climaxes to any record i've heard all year LP does a fantastic job producing this track. The dramatic strings slowly build until it quiets down before this roaring saxophone brings us back to the action. It really does sound like the soundtrack at the end uh, of a revolution. LP also had some great verses, but Mike has the standout verses on this track. He talks about the black experience and how people with his skin color will always be deemed as villains despite the history of systematic oppression. The crazy part of this is how RTJ wrote these songs before George Floyd's death and the protests that followed. But I think that plays to the larger issue that black communities have been facing for years. It was quite the year for change, and I think this song perfectly portrayed that. God bless, run the jewels. Number four, I have I Want You to Love Me by Fiona Apple. Much like the album that the song originates from, I Want You to Love Me is beautiful, anguished and erratic fiona apple knows what she wants and damn if she isn't determined to get it the song begins with a lovely piano arpeggios that sound like christmas time um i hope i hope that makes sense that's literally all i think of when i hear the opening piano keys as the song progresses and fiona gets more aggressive so does the piano playing in fact it gets so chaotic that fiona ends the song impersonating a dolphin yeah kind of quirky it's a very dynamic song and a great track to intro her new record i loved it the first time i heard it and it is the standout track on fiona's latest album at number three i have anything by adrian lanker i am a huge fan of lanker's music both solo material and her work with big thief when this song came out i thought about nothing else but it this is the ethereal indie folk that I crave and I sunk my teeth into the lush textures and Lanker's angelic vocals straight away. She can make lyrics about mundane life so magical. I don't know how she does it. There's a certain mysticism about her music that didn't really come to fruition until last year's UFOF and and she's been having a hot streak that's continued on uh, to her latest album here or I should say albums songs and instrumentals i think anything really hits a sweet spot for me because she's able to transport me to this magical dreamland that i can get lost in and i never want to leave bravo miss linker bravo and number two i have described by perfume genius you guys have no idea how close this pick was a lot of tracks off of set my heart on fire immediately are so good namely whole life jason on the floor without you Uh, In fact, On the Floor almost took this number two spot. But I decided to go with Describe because it is the first song that made me fall in love with this project. And in turn, it kind of made me reevaluate my stance on Perfume Genius because beforehand, I never really was able to get his music. But with this album, this specific track, I was just like, okay, maybe I'm missing something. And I was able to go back and I really appreciate his later stuff first. The electrifying energy of the shoegazy guitar mixed with Hadrius's somewhat lethargic delivery creates a dichotomy that matches the lyrics of being numb and asking someone to describe feelings to him. As the song progresses, his vocal melody takes on a more angelic quality. It seems like he is not as numb as he was at the beginning of the song, but halfway through the track, after the last verse, after the last chorus, the folky shoegaze melody gives way to this ethereal ambience that really took me by surprise. This is an absolutely breathtaking track, and that is why it is my number two track of the year. Now, we have arrived to my number one track of the year, that being Kerosene by Yiv Tumor. Yves Tumor? I actually don't know how to pronounce the name. Huh. Maybe I should have prepared before I... Started the episode. <laughs> it's a real shame that Heaven to a Tortured Mind didn't turn out as great as I hoped it would be. There are some great tracks on the album, but I think my number one pick here was so good that it overshadowed the rest of the album. A lot of the album could be described as psychedelic neo-soul. In fact, I am going to give it that label. And a lot of the production lends for some spaced out instrumentals with his own reverberated vocals. And a lot of it is good, but a lot of it is kind of lackluster. And I truly believe that this song probably ruined the rest of this album for me because it is the pinnacle of the record. It doesn't help that it's just track four. It's a very passionate song. The lyrics talk about a man and a woman being anything they want for each other. His vocals are very sultry and featured artist Diana Gordon's vocals are very powerful and they skyrocket the song to the cosmos. The first minute builds to this Jimi hendrick-esque guitar solo and it gives me chills every time it's such an addicting song and so well written and performed i had the song on repeat when i first heard it um actually i think there was a couple of weeks where i just listened to the song exclusively because it's so freaking good on social media i posted my spotify wrapped for the year and you can see that i have this song as my most listened song of the year Um, so no surprise that it kind of made it here on my number one pick Um, but that is my favorite songs of the year so far coming up next i'm going to be talking about my favorite albums of the year stay tuned everybody you're listening to sound encounters Hello, and welcome back to Sound Encounters. All right, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. My top 10 best albums of 2020. You know, it's funny because near the end of every year, I think back and say, damn, we didn't have a great year of music. And I'm always wrong because I always look back through the albums that i heard and i'm like wow i was so wrong this happened last year i was like i don't think we got the best year and then i was like no, no 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 that that's not true in fact i think last year started off pretty slow there weren't that many great releases at the beginning of the year but once the second half of the year kicked in we got a whole bunch of amazing releases and I don't think that's the case here. I think they're pretty evenly spread out, the the albums that were released this year that are on my list. And I didn't find it nearly as difficult as last year to pick albums for this end-of-the-year list. Although back then I was doing it for my own personal reasons and not for a podcast. But nonetheless, I feel pretty confident about the 10 that I picked here. I think we had an amazing year of music but I want to talk about a couple of albums that didn't exactly make it on my list. A couple of honorable mentions, because there were so many great albums that they that there were a couple that just didn't make it on my list. So the first album I want to mention is Set My Heart on Fire Immediately by Perfume Genius. This was a record that I just didn't connect with right away. And I, I think that was crazy of me, because... I kept returning to the album because there were so many great hits. And honestly, it was the album that kind of opened my eyes to Perfume Genius's genius (laughs) to make a little pun. But yeah, so many great tracks on that album. As you already know, Describe is one of my favorite songs of 2020. On the floor, fantastic song song. Without You, another fantastic song that I kept returning to, as well as Jason and Whole Life and Some Dream. Just a really great record that is unfortunately cursed with a couple of filler tracks, but it was such a good record. One that I kind of have constantly returned to every other month or so. One of my favorite indie rock releases of the year. Speaking of indie rock releases... I want to talk about another release that didn't really connect with me on first listen and luckily the the songs stood out to me in my mind and i was just like i gotta re-listen to these songs and then i ended up re-listening to the project but that project being punisher by phoebe bridgers usually uh, there's always like a couple of albums uh, indie rock albums i should say that always get a lot of hype whether through pitchfork or just internet hype in general But I always dismiss those hype albums because I just, I I don't know, maybe they're seeing something else that I'm not seeing or hearing, I should say. I don't know what it is, but I I never get the hype. And at first, I didn't get the hype with Punisher. I think Phoebe Bridgers is a fantastic singer. I didn't really like her first release. I thought it was pretty just run-of-the-mill folk indie rock songs and while there were a couple of standouts on Punisher uh, I think I remember loving Kyoto and I know the end and I think Punisher as well on first listen I just couldn't really see the appeal of the rest of the album but luckily about a couple weeks ago actually I re-listened to the whole thing and I was like wow I understand now I understand why a lot of people hyped this up I understand why a lot of people love this record. Personally, I think there are a couple of tracks on there that miss the mark for me. And that's why I can't really include it in my top 10 albums of 2020. But I understand now. And I think it is a fantastic indie rock album. Very sad indie rock album. But there are a lot of great compositions. Especially I Know The End with... Those triumphant horns at the end and that chorus and Phoebe Bridger's blood-curdling scream, that is such a fantastic finale to a record. And let's not forget hits like Kyoto had that on my best of 2020 songs list and tracks like Garden Song and Punisher. Those are all fantastic tracks. So I'm definitely glad that I was able to revisit that album and I was able to see why everyone liked it. Another record I'd like to include on here is Died's Less Life. I talked about Died's Less Life on my Best of 2020 so far Uh, episode that was months ago. Felt like a lifetime ago. But this is such a guilty pleasure record for me because Died is a New York Post hardcore quartet. Try saying that five times fast. And and, uh, this was their first full length album. And... They sounded like a lot of the classic post-hardcore artists that I love like Fugazi, At the Drive-In, Unwound, Slint, Drive Like Jehu, and you could even hear these bands their influence on the songs on this record. Like you can hear Unwound in The Trial. You can hear Fugazi's dub-inspired basslines all over Busy Man, and the final track is Dyde's version of Slint's Good Morning Captain, which kind of like loses points for me in any album when i'm like oh this is they're clearly inspired or imitating these bands but they did it so well that i just couldn't help but fall in love with the record luckily they do some things different on their own like the opening track boxwood their energy on that track is their own and that intense build up to that amazing guitar solo is just beautiful Maco. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, is a thrilling punk track that enters post-rock territory as the soaring guitar the soaring guitars build to that final moments of the track. And DN Music is an alluring piece that uses the guitar, bass, and piano to create a mystifying instrumental interlude. I wasn't necessarily blown away by this album, but it is such a good post-hardcore album that kind of calls back. Those classic bands, those classic albums. And there's there's just, I love this thing. Again, it is a guilty pleasure release, so I'm not going to put it on my top 10 albums because it's just, I feel like it's cheating. I don't know if it's cheating, but I feel like it's cheating. But yeah, this is a fantastic album. Okay, now that we got the honorable mentions out of the way, let's get into the actual list, starting with Grey by Moses Sumney at my number 10. I almost forgot how stunning this album was. It is difficult to label Moses as a neo-soul artist because he doesn't, it it feels like he doesn't want to box himself into one category. He explores and experiments with what he has, and as a result, we get a project that is equal parts soul, electronica, pop, and even alternative rock. And all of this blends together to make one of the year's lushest and progressive releases. I can't help but be amazed by the psychedelic symphony of saxophones on color or the mystifying beauty of the flutes and harp on virile. And then there's a tension of conveyor that is created by pounding and repetitive drum rhythm, segmented strings, and this breathtaking looping effect. I say alternative rock because this track in particular kind of reminds me of Radiohead, or at the very least Tom York's uh, music and if we ignore the following track boxes then this track doesn't have a definitive ending so it builds tension without release and that really isn't typical of soul and pop and that's probably why i love this track so much and that's probably why i connected it with it so easily and that is just the first disc yes this album is two discs and the second one shifts to focus on Sumni as a singer and storyteller which he also excels at Two Dogs and Bystanders are some of the best lyrical moments on the disc. On the entire record, I should say. And if you haven't noticed already, Sumney's falsetto is just so enticing. A lot of these songs have amazing production, amazing sound design, but most of them are overshadowed by Sumney's powerful performances. I don't think this album would be on my list if Sumney wasn't such a strong performer. He is the reason why I want to hear more of him, not the studio effects, although those are really great here as well. If you need any more proof that Sumney is a force to be reckoned with, listen to the penultimate track, Bless Me, as while it is a straightforward pop soul song, it is heightened by Sumney's performance. Sure, there are effects, but the main focus is Sumney, and it is a satisfying conclusion to the album. Absolutely beautiful. If you're looking for mind-bending and grandiose soul, look no further than Grey. At number nine, I have The Consuming Flame, Open Exercises in Group Form by Matt Moss. Or Matt Moss. Look, if you're looking at this album and you're thinking, I don't want to listen to this. It's three discs and it's three fucking hours long. Um, I get it. It was hard for me to get through the first couple of times. But it's Matt Moss and I can't just ignore it. Surprisingly enough, the three-hour, three-disc album flies by it's like magic. And I love when this happens. Usually I'm hesitant to projects that are this long because I feel like I know not everything will be great. and That's the case for this album. Not everything here works. Most of the first disc falls flat for me. And that's because Matt Moss attempts to mix together so many genres that pull from so many influences. And, and that's mainly because there are so many collaborators on this project. There's like 99 collaborators on this project. Um, And they do this really well on disc 2 and disc 3, but the problems that I have with the first disc is how underwhelming the middle section and the final songs on this disc hold up compared to its opening. It felt like I was about to listen to some ambitious electronic music, and then they just start fucking around and it doesn't sound all that great. It's not all that satisfying. Really, the strength of the album comes from the last two discs as it devolves into very surreal and abstract IDM sound collage electronic music. I was surprised yet tickled to hear different streaming platforms being sampled, especially Netflix's unmistakable sign-in sound effect on platformism. I loved hearing the serene song they did with Yola Tango. There are moments on the album that are generally unnerving, like the eclectic I Know What I Saw or the quirky Nice Men in Staple Relationships. And don't even get me started on the third disc, which is so freaking good That it could have been its own separate album and in fact it could have probably been higher on my list if it was a separate album boom chicka is a 13 minute odyssey that mixes psychedelic rock and bleeps and bloops to create one of the more mesmerizing experiences on the project blessed order of is such a great intro to the disc that combines so many sounds that it becomes claustrophobic and i don't need to tell you that the two songs featuring one tricks point never is really fucking good the entire project is such a mind-altering, cerebral experience that I just can't put into words. Go check this project out if that is if this is, sounds interesting to you. It, it honestly is a project that you need to experience for yourself. But it is my number nine. And at number eight, I have Peaceful as Hell by Black Dresses. I think I said this on my Best of 2020 So Far episode earlier this year, but I get really sad when I talk about Black Dresses and that's because they they had so much potential. They were already making groundbreaking pop music in the 2010s. And with this release, it felt like they were evolving and they were quickly on their way to becoming one of the most talked about hyperpop groups of our time. And then they suddenly and unexpectedly disbanded. And I respect Debbie McCallion and Ada Rook's decision, but I am still saddened by the news. I'm still grieving the loss of black dresses. And that's because albums like Love and Affection for Stupid Little Bitches, Waste Isolation, and this one are so freaking good. But if this truly is the end, it is a beautiful ending to Black Dresses as throughout the album, Devi and Ada express their love for each other. And they have some of their most eclectic and moving industrial hyper-pop compositions Throughout their career. Right off the bat, the opening track, Left Arm of Life, paints an apocalyptic scenario, and throughout the album, we hear these chaotic, glitch, and industrial beats. My favorite being the intense breakdown of Angel Hair. But no matter what is happening in the world, no matter the trials they face, they have each other. And God, do I hope that is still the case. I also love that among the abrasive production that dominates this album, they still have time for electric guitar solos and bringing an alternative rock sound to the project. If I remember correctly, I wasn't too keen on Creep You when I first heard this album, and it's clearly inspired by the rock groups of the 90s. But after listening, or re-listening to this project, it is such a great moment for them, as I stated earlier. It shows them evolving and stepping out of their comfort zone, which I don't think is a bad thing. And they did the sound so well, I was looking forward to... I was looking forward to see if that was going to go anywhere, but we can't anymore. Still an incredible hyper-pop industrial glitch pop with a touch of Altarock rock album, whatever you want to label this album. It's just so freaking good. Still saddened by the disbandment of this band. At number seven, I have Shrines by Arm & Hammer. It's funny how a duo who became famous for their apocalyptic imagery and atmospheric and psychedelic beats kind of tone it back for 2020, the year of our lord. An Arm & Hammer fan might hear what I just said and think, oh no, this album isn't going to be as good as their previous output. And yeah, while I don't think Shrine's is as good as Paraffin, which happens to be my favorite Arm Hammer project, it still has its merits. I think hearing the duo in a lighthearted and somewhat optimistic tone is the kind of thing that I needed for 2020. If and Hammer can make songs about hope, are things really that bad? I just love hearing the different side to them, even though there are moments on this record where they devolve into their usual cynicism and paranoia, like on Solarium or Parables. And the production is top-notch as ever. Beats like Charms, Pommel Horse, King Tubby, Flavor Flav, Dead Cars all showcase the duo's ear for either simplistic, atmospheric, and psychedelic production that'll work hand-in-hand with their their bars. And I will admit the ending to this album is a bit underwhelming, but from Bitter Cassava to Dead Cars, this project is an eye-opening and cathartic project from a duo who is typically portrayed as the harbingers of dark and neurotic abstract hip-hop. At number six, I have *Snee Sauce* by Nicholas Jar. I love Jar. I love ambient music. No surprise that this ended up in my top albums. Seriously though, Jar is a genius at what he does, and this album here proves that he isn't done creating soundscapes for us to get lost in. Jar released two other projects this year, both of them being fairly good but this tops the others as I think the cold and sparse atmospheres of this project perfectly reflected what I was feeling when the lockdown began. And that should be no surprise as Jar was in isolation himself while writing these songs, and that lends to the music exploring some really dark places. Take the title track, for instance, with its ghastly vocals, dour piano melody, and chilling ambience. It really sets the stage for the bleak atmosphere of the rest of the record. Sunder has Jar lethargically singing over this hypnotically chilling beat. It's both gloomy and groovy, and it's kind of confusing and awkward, but it's probably one of my more favorite moments on the album, mainly because I guess both of those moods mix through really well, and I definitely vibed with it. Garden repeats piano notes, and the notes are duplicated and are layered on top of one another, making for a very claustrophobic and heavy experience on the album. By far, my favorite moment on the album has to be the seven-minute mud as it plays like a hazy and languorous journey into the unknown, the pummeling drums, and Jar's shouting made for great moments on this track too, is bone-chilling, haunting, and sometimes blissful, and it has to be one of my favorite Jar projects to date. At number five, I have Purple Moonlight Pages by Rap Ferreira. So this was an album that I didn't really connect with when I first heard it. Happened a lot this year. Talked about Perfume Genius and Phoebe Bridgers. New projects that didn't really win me over until several listens. And we'll see this happen again with another pick on this list. And we'll we'll get to that. But this is such a beautiful record. Some of the tracks stuck with me for so long that I was just like, I need to listen to these tracks. I need to listen to this album. Oh my god, I... My, companion has completely changed this album and it is now my favorite hip-hop release of the year which goes to show you the evolution this record went through i didn't really care for it but now you know it is my favorite hip-hop release the album comes to us from rapper rory ferreira aka milo aka a rapper who has gone through several pseudonyms before arriving to rap ferreira and this feels like his most freeing work yet i love milo's style of rapping because it necessarily It isn't necessarily rapping. The cover of the album says rhythm and poetry. That is a perfect description of what you'll hear on this album. There are times where Milo isn't even rapping. He's just talking or performing slam poetry, and it's great. I love projects like this one because it usually takes me a while before I'm able to decipher what the artist is talking about. And from my understanding of this project, we can go from subjects like a stream of conscious poem about existentialism to thinking about if Chance the Rapper does his own laundry. Most of the times, these poems are said alongside dreamy, soft, and calming jazz samples, keyboard, and electronic melodies. If you want to vibe out to some ethereal production, I recommend listening to songs like Cycles, Doldrums, and Golden Sardine. They're just gorgeous and otherworldly beats and instrumentals that I cannot believe I was indifferent to the first couple of times I heard this project. Like, what's wrong with me? I think I've returned to this album about once a month since I first listened to it. The energy this album expels is so freeing and fun. I discover something new about the project every time I come back to it. And if that's not a sign of a great project, I don't know what is. And number four, I have All Thoughts Fly by Anna Von Hauswolf. As much as I love dense, complex music, sometimes minimalist music can really blow my socks off. Anna von Housewolf's All Thoughts Fly is an achievement in surreal drone and dark ambient music. And she was able to accomplish this using her organ playing abilities and studio effects. A project like this was surprising following her 2018 neoclassical Dark Wave album Dead Magic. There she showcased her incredible singing, which is definitely missed on this record. But again, these are two completely different projects. And I'm fine that, you know, we don't really get to hear her sing on this record. And this one really surprised me with just how eerie and transcendental the music is. The lead single from this album, Sacro Bosco, transformed from a foreboding and haunting dark ambient piece that quickly became this bright and vivid piece once the organ was introduced. Then there are tracks where you can sit back and soak in its mood. Persephone, while simplistic and minimalist, And its composition has a bittersweet feeling to it as the organ chords slowly rise and repeat and you feel the weight of the monotony. This song really relies on the listener to be able to feel what is happening in this track rather than blowing you away with intricate writing and progressions. And I am still blown away by the title track. Layering organ tracks where they are different tracks or the same one was a brilliant move as it feels overpowering and hypnotic. Then as it slowly increases in intensity, the track envelops you whole. Then when you think you are completely lost in the trance, the track abruptly ends and you can hear the chords reverberate into the void. I was stunned the first time I heard this track and I was stunned that a record like this impressed me as much as it did. One of the most breathtaking lessons I've heard all year. And number three, I have microphones in 2020 by the microphones. So I didn't think this album would end up on my best of 2020 list. If you remember when I initially reviewed this album, I didn't really know how I felt about it. While I am a fan of Phil Elverum's music, I do prefer the microphones over his Mount Erie project, as some of his best material was recorded during the microphones tenure. And I never thought he would return to this moniker as he was recording music as Mount Erie. So when the announcement came that the microphones was back, I was really excited if he was going to resurrect the project it's probably for a good reason and so when i finally was able to listen to this project i was kind of underwhelmed sure it was a very personal and profound introspection into the life of phil alvarum which i love that shit you know me and it makes for compelling lyrics and storytelling but i wasn't satisfied with the music however After giving it a couple of more listens, I can safely say this album is up there with some of Elverum's best material. Before I go into what changed for me, I want to talk about the lyrics on this album. Because like I said earlier, it is a personal journey that is about self-reflection filled with vivid imagery. I've always appreciated Elverum's style of poetry. It's very relatable and he's very comfortable with a certain level of vulnerability. And with a project like this, it's no surprise how many memories from his life, his experiences are pulled into this narrative. However, my favorite parts come in the form of surrealist imagery being mixed with his memories, almost as if he is retelling a dream. And this is sort of stated at the beginning of the song with the line, I remember my life as if it's just some dreams that I don't trust. We bounce back and forth between episodes of Phil running to the studio to record, to losing his mind in tall grass, to writing the microphones on cassette tapes, to swimming to the heart of the lake at night alone, to reenacting scenes from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's both endearing and terrifyingly existential, which I, which is everything that I love about Elverum's music. This project also serves as a victory lap, and they look back at his career. You know, he's pulling lyrics from past songs, almost as if it's like fan service in a movie franchise. But here it serves an emotional purpose as he is recollecting these moments in his life, his career, his work. You know, why wouldn't he pull from these songs? I'm sure he's proud of what he wrote 10, 20 years ago. So when it comes to the lyrical aspects of this song, Nothing has changed for me. This is a beautiful, winding narrative that only Elverum could have pulled off. But now let's talk about the music, which I called static and uninteresting the first time I reviewed this project. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Now that I gave it the attention that it deserved, this instrumental is genius for the narrative that Elverum presents. At first, I was a bit fed up at the repeating guitar chords that sounded like they were going nowhere. But now I understand why Elverham did this, and he wanted to create a trance-like quality to make it feel like you are in a dream. It begins to make sense when the lyrics kick in, and Elverham states that you know his life was like a series of dreams. Along the way, percussion, bass, keyboards, distortion, studio effects are interlaced with the DNA that is the acoustic guitar melody, or chorus I should say. Sometimes they accompany each other, sometimes it completely transforms the song. Like about halfway through the track, the guitars and vocals stop and these swirling and dreamy keyboards dominate the track. It is emotionally overwhelming, and in a way I feel like it is as if Elvrim is trying to convey something he can't with words, and because of that it is one of the most beautiful musical moments I've heard all year. But there are still 50 minutes left, and he just picks up where he left off with his story and the same guitar chords and i just wish there was more of that pure emotion and i wish that the song had changed from that point on maybe like a different guitar melody a similar keyboard passage something ambient i don't know anything else i was kind of hoping for like a sister ray moment where the initial melody just shifts and transforms into a different monster but that didn't happen the narrative is still solid. I was just hoping that something changed from that point. That being said, it is still a fantastic project. Fans of Phil Elverum, fans of the Microphones will love this project as I did. And number 2, we have Magic Monotrix Point Never by Monotrix Point Never. Ugh, this album is such a triumph. Daniel Lopatin, aka One Tricks Point Never, released one of his best albums this year, and the reason I say that and I and I call it a triumph is because it takes the sounds and styles of previous Opn albums and mashes them together into this concept album that takes a look back at his career so far, kind of like microphones. I love how Lopatin structured this album, kind of divided them into different suites. You know, morning, midday, evening, late night and separated these suites through radio station crosstalk interludes. This is his biggest love letter to mainstream music and radio stations as this is probably his most accessible release. That's not to say that this album doesn't have its idiosyncrasies and moments of pr- production genius. Imigo calls back the looping and sampling wizardry from Replica. I love that blissful electronic harpsichord and strings in the middle of auto and allo. The Weather Channel is such an amazing journey as it begins with these juvenile and dreamy bleeps and bloops to the vaporwave sound, collage, to the trap rap of the ending. It is an interesting track that just doesn't get boring. And I don't want to forget Wave Idea as it simultaneously the most relaxing and unsettling songs I've heard all year. Seriously, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It takes really great talent to do that. Lapitan fits in odd vocal loops and sampling throughout most of the tracks as well that just scream classic OPN. But his greatest achievement here is making the more pop-centric songs sound compelling and catchy. Right off the bat, Long Road Home borrows the neoclassical sound of Age Of as strings are played alongside the beat, and Lapitan's vocals manage to be both eerie and catchy, and I don't know how he does it. Again, real talent. I Don't Love Me Anymore is a banger as the hi-hats and snares make for a toe-tapping beat and Lopatin's vocals, while still a bit eerie, make for a fun sing-along melody. But man, those cold and unfeeling synth swells have this desolate feeling to them. It's off-putting which makes the rest of the song feel awkward, but it is so damn effective. No Nightmares is the most straightforward song on the album, as The Weeknd provides guest vocals with this swelling and moody synth melody, but it's such a fantastic R&B song that I just can't complain about it. It's really good. I knew I was going to like this album because I am a fan of OPN, but goddamn, I was surprised by this. Phenomenal work, Mr. Lopatin. Give yourself a pat on the back. You deserve it. And now it's time for my number one pick. A pick that really surprised me and might surprise you since I don't really talk about these genres as much as I would love to. And very rarely do jazz and metal albums make it this far on my list. Very rarely do they end up on my number one spot. But number one is Eons or Aeons, however you pronounce it, by Neptunian Maximalism. So yes, this is a avant-garde jazz drone metal album which if you guys know me, if you've been hearing this podcast for long enough, you know that something like that probably piqued my interest. And boy, did it fucking did. Neptunian maximalism is a Belgian-based jazz metal ensemble. And my experiences with metal music and kind of jazz is just so minuscule that I feel like it kind of disqualifies me from talking about any metal or jazz genre. But I'm going to do it Do my best anyway, because I need to tell you how phenomenal this record is. The more I listened to it, the more I processed it, which it still feels like I am doing it. I feel like I'm processing it. It's two hours long and it's far from easy listening. The more I was like, yeah, this is the best album of 2020. Right from the get-go, the opening track begins with sinister saxophone blares and pummeling percussion. And all that was going through my head was, oh shit, I'm in for a ride. And what follows is a slow and maddening descent into the fires of hell. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I love music that unnerves me. I'm fascinated with dissonance and tension building without the release, and most of the songs here do that very well. The fourth track, which I am not even going to pronounce, there's a lot of names I cannot pronounce, so I'm not even going to try. But the fourth track does a fantastic job of building those reverb guitars and pounding drums to create an overwhelming and overpowering feeling within the listener. I hear that drumming and it makes my heart race. It's a very imposing rhythm. Then we get dissonant blares of the saxophone and the eeriness of the hammered dulcimer and it makes the song feel 10 times more sonorous. But there isn't that satisfying release that comes with that build and it is frustrating but frustrating in the right way. The track that follows is only two minutes, and it, it's nowhere as intense as the last song, but I realized it was a cool down before the next track, which was more spiritual and grandiose in scope and less intense than the fourth track. It was during this cool down that I realized, oh shoot, the song got me fired up. I can feel it in my body, and I was able, it was able to give me a physical reaction. So even if the track didn't have a satisfying climax, it still elicited a response from me, even though I didn't understand it at the time. Czar, the seventh track, which I'm happy that I can pronounce, I think, does something similar but with an ominous bassline that rises from the murky atmosphere before being overpowered by this psychedelic drone. The final four tracks, which comprises the third disc of the album, To The Sun, is such an apocalyptic and harrowing listen. I fucking love it. Whether it is the distressing alarm, foreboding drone, and atonal sax of EOS, the unsettling atmosphere and chanting and moaning of Heliosopolis or the alluring final moments of the record, this last stretch is so extraordinary. This album is rich in atmosphere, it features the year's most spellbinding performances, and has an urgency to it that hooked me right from the start. And that is why Eons by Neptunian Maximalism is my number one pick. Ooh, and that does it. That concludes my best of 2020 albums list. Despite being a pretty shitty year overall, at least we had phenomenal music to get us through it. For the rest of the year, I think I'm going to put on eons and just celebrate that album because it's such a freaking phenomenal album. I already said my piece, so you didn't need me to repeat myself. Um, but yeah, so many great albums. I. I am curious, though, to hear what your favorite albums are. I know I'm going to take a break for a couple of weeks, probably a whole month. But if I get enough voice messages sent in, I want to do a feature where I can hear what you guys have to say, what what your favorite 2020 albums were. I'll respond to what you guys have to say. But, you know, there's there's so much music out there. I feel like I haven't listened to everything great right out there. You know, I'm just one guy. Can't listen to everything, but what I heard this year was just so amazing. I'm so glad that we got these freaking phenomenal releases. But yes, send in your picks for the best albums of 2020. Send in your best songs, maybe. Talk about an album that you despise. <laughs> I, I will feature it. It is my promise to you that if you send me in a voice message, if you send me in a tweet, if you tell me it through an Apple podcast review. I will feature it on the first show back from my break. And, you know, I just love to talk about this, uh, like, like the end of the year, like excites me because I get to look back and listen to the albums that I absolutely loved. And so if I get to do that again in January, then I would love to do that again. But yes, I recommend you go out and listen to Eons by Neptunian maximalism, especially if you love jazz, if you love avant-garde music, if you love drone metal. Um, Even if it isn't up your alley, listen to it maybe it will awaken something inside inside of you and um maybe we can talk about it um we can have a little conversation on the podcast if you send in a voice message of you listening to it and your reactions to it maybe you didn't like the album we can still have a conversation about that because i love to have these conversations about music and continue to talk about the music talk about you know like why didn't you like it why did you love it you know and 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 just those conversations are just so meaningful to me Um, I'm going on a bit of a tangent (laughs) but yes Eons Neptunia Maximalism again for like the 10 billionth time is my number one album of the year well that does it for Sound Encounters for the year thank you for joining me these past couple of months if you've stuck around for this long thank you for those newcomers who have come in either this episode or the previous couple of episodes i greatly appreciate all of you for listening to my little show here um i'm excited for the next phase of sound encounters When I return in 2021 I am excited for The new music that we're going to get in 2021 I am excited for the new genres And artists that we can explore together In 2021 And I am excited for The growth of This little Sound Encounters Fam that we have here If you want to help me grow the Sound Encounters Fam please leave a review On Apple Podcasts Let me know what you think Uh, Any recommendations, anything just anything you can even send in a voice message on anchor.fm and you can tell your friends about sound encounters tell your music enthusiast friends about sound encounters and uh i think that's it um i'll be back in 2021 with new material I'm Gonna talk. we talk, we're gonna be talking about new genres uh i think yeah when we come back from the break I'll be talking about an essential album the least I will tell you is that it is a a hip-hop album so you have that to look forward to but until then I've been Cesar Torres your host you've been listening to Sound Encounters thank you so much for the support see you in 2021